Hey guys, it's Drew. If you're hearing this, I just want to let you know that this is a pre-recorded episode. Typically, I record my episodes the day before they come out. But if you're hearing this, I recorded this episode previously. So all of the facts are up to the minute as far as I know. However, if there are some inconsistencies, it's simply because when I recorded this, it was as accurate as I could make it at the time. Don't worry, you're still going to get a full episode worth of content, but chances are I'm probably either out of town, feeling a little under the weather, or knowing me, there's a chance I could have procrastinated and you're hearing this pre-recorded episode because I did not have time to record my episode the night before. So, now that that's out of the way, I hope you have a great time listening to this episode. Enjoy and stay blessed. Hello and welcome back to The Drew View. In today's show, we are going to be analyzing Democratic presidential candidate Marianne Williamson and what she is bringing to the table in 2024. I'm Drew Bennett and you're listening to The Drew View. Alrighty, folks, thank you for tuning back in for another episode of the show. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about Marianne Williamson. And this is the first episode that we're doing like this. We're going to be going through each candidate in the different primaries. So we're going to be going through all of the Democratic candidates first, then all of the Republican candidates second, and finally, any independents or third parties last. And we're going to be going through and we're going to be analyzing each and every candidate and what they are bringing to the table in 2024. This is a running series we're going to have going, and it's going to be one episode per figure. Obviously, some episodes are going to be shorter than others. For example, this will probably be a shorter episode because Marianne Williamson, not a super popular name, not someone that's really going to go very far in this primary, but you never know. So we're going to talk about her. We're going to provide some information on her just so everyone can be a little bit more informed. And again, I can learn alongside of you guys. A lot of these candidates, I don't know a lot about myself. So this is good to kind of help myself as well. So you may be asking, why would you pick Marianne Williamson out of the Democrats first? And all I'm going to be doing is I'm going to go the people who typically are polling the lowest, and then I'm going to go all the way up. So obviously the last person that we talk about will be Biden. And then with the Republicans, the same way, the last two that we talk about will be DeSantis and Trump, as long as those are the two that are still leading in the polls when I record these episodes. So that's kind of how we're going to be doing that. So that is why I have Marianne Williamson first. So let's start out with what is the first impression that you get when you go on her website? A lot you can judge a lot about a candidate by what is on their campaign website. Some candidates, they will have websites where there will be big sections about me, about why I'm running, all this, that, all about me. And you can tell those are the candidates who are in it for their personality, to boost their personal life, to boost a personal book, whatever that may be. The biggest examples I can think of are going to be your people like Tim Scott. He's a very nice guy. He's going to use the color of his skin and his story, his background, 
his kindness to his advantage, and he's really going to make it more about him as a person rather than him, the policy issues that he's bringing forth. And that's going to be the same with a lot of candidates. With others like Trump, you'll see a little bit of both where you'll see policy, but you'll also see a lot of personal. So it'll be interesting to kind of see which candidates are focusing on what. But Marianne Williamson, for one, focuses a lot on the issues. I will always say if you're focusing more on the issues than on yourself, that's usually a good sign of somebody who actually at least wants to make it look like they have the country's best interest at heart. Because if you're putting, oh, well, this is all about me and this is why you should vote for me because I'm this, this, and this person. Well, let's make it less about personality and more about policy. What are you going to do? Yeah, you might be a cool person, but that doesn't mean you're going to be a good president. What are you going to do? What are your policies that is going to make me say, hey, I want to vote for you or uh, I think I'll pass. Marianne Williamson, if you go onto her website and you click issues, there will be an issue for just about anything you can think of where she has a stance on it. I think that's pretty cool. I think every candidate should have something similar to that. Let's highlight a couple of the ones that I thought were interesting. Marianne Williamson, I guess I should kind of start out by saying this. She's essentially running in like the Bernie Sanders lane where she's pretty much a socialist through and through, especially economically. She's an economically, you know, she's an economic socialist and probably more of a social liberal is kind of how I would consider her. Again, it's not, it's kind of hard for me to judge for people who I don't really know a lot about, but just based on a lot of her policies, that's really what it's sounding like to me, more of a social uh, liberal, but more of an economic socialist, if that makes sense. So economically, she has a section on there where she says that one in four Americans still live with medical debt, a third of America's workforce work for less than $15 an hour, half can't afford a one-bedroom apartment, half our seniors live on less than $25,000 a year, the U.S. has the highest poverty rate of any advanced democracy, if you're in the top 20%, you're just fine, but Everyone isn't in the top 20%, and it's a catastrophe for them. It's very, very, uh, you know, it's it's this uh, dichotomy. You're saying, okay, people at the top, people at the bottom, no bridge in between. We got to fix it. That's what you're really seeing a lot of. Oh, we have elitists, and then we have everyone else, and those are the only two type of people there are. It's just this real big dichotomy, and that's kind of her vision. She's saying we got to try and bridge that. We have to make it so that... Everyone has an equal playing field, yada, yada, yada. She's kind of one of those that would say, you know, we got to make the rich pay their fair share and we got to make sure that everybody should be able to have basic health care. She's kind of a health care for all type. So really, an economic Bernie Sanders would be a good way to put her. I do agree with her to an extent on education. I'm going to read a section about education on her uh, website. She says, millions of American children each day go to schools that do not even have functioning toilets and lack the minimum school supplies necessary to teach a child to read. A child who can't read by the age of eight is less likely to graduate from high school and more likely to one day be incarcerated. This is more than an educational issue. It is a human rights issue. In the richest country in the world, it must become our highest priority for every American child to receive a world-class education. And I I don't disagree with that. I think that there is no reason that we should have 
some public schools where they don't even have a working toilet and other public schools where they're pouring millions and millions and millions of dollars into these sports complexes. It's ridiculous. I just think of local examples where our school has trouble paying for this or that thing or a bunch of people in the district can't afford field trips and, and the school can't afford the money for all of it. So we just stop doing field trips and there's all these different things that happen. And I feel like we should all be able to have, you know, working toilets, working schools. Everybody should be able to be able to get, uh, everyone should be able to be able to, everyone should have the ability to get a high quality education when they go to school. And yes, they might not have the best sports team in the country. They might not have the nicest sports facility in the state. But do we really need that? These kids are not there to be athletes. They're there to be students. we got to make sure we're putting that first. So I do agree to an extent on that. I also agree with her a lot when she says social media issues add to problems with learning skills and childhood anxiety. I think that's a huge part of it. The younger and younger kids start to have phones and use social media. The younger and younger, they're starting to kind of have these, you know, social, socially awkward moments. They're not very uh, socially intelligent. COVID did a damper on that as well. Not interacting with a lot of people and then just social media has really created that barrier. A lot of people just don't have conversations anymore. It's all done on social media. So I think that does have a big effect on our kids, whether that be with learning skills, childhood anxiety, whatever. And of course, she said added to that, the existence of school shootings and the trauma they are causing all our children. And I would say in the fear mongering that goes along with that and all of the constant, oh, you know, living in fear and, and making people fear that, oh, these, you know, these evil guns could come out of the woodworks and just start shooting at you when really it's just, no, these hardened criminals who are just sick, sick individuals who really need to be getting help just come into these schools and just unleash, which is, it's sad, but that's, that's the way our country is, unfortunately. So she says something I agree with there, and then there's another section where I think it's just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. She says, the ability to pursue a livelihood free from discrimination is a right denied every day to members of the LGBTQIA plus communities. Is the est it is estimated that roughly 7% of the U.S. population identifies as LGBTQIA plus, but this large percentage of our population, again, 7%, um, most people wouldn't consider 7% a large percentage, but anyway, but this large percentage of our population still does not have full legal rights and due process rights in many aspects of their life. And the funniest part about it is she claims that, and then she goes on to talk about something else. Here's what I don't like when politicians do. If you make a claim like that, oh, people in the, in the I'm just going to say alphabet community because it's every letter in the alphabet in the you know l g b a b c d whatever community they do not have full legal rights and due process rights in many aspects of their life you have to have some sort of supporting evidence for that you have to give me some examples you you cannot just make a statement like that and then leave it and just skim right by it like nothing ever happened no, you, you can't do that. That's 
that's uncalled for, that's unacceptable. The burden of proof is on you. If that's your claim, you can make that claim. Go for it. Okay. But you have to have the evidence to back it up. You can't just baselessly say, oh, they don't have rights. I hate this. There are people in my school that would do this all the time. They would say, oh, trans people are being denied basic human rights. Like what? And, and you know, you just a blank stare. What do you, well, basic human rights. Like what? Well, they're not affirming my gender. They're not calling me by the pronouns that I want to be called. Well, that's not a basic human right. You know, we have the right in our constitution. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on a podcast before, like in one of my episodes before. This really gets me fired up. In our constitution, not in our constitution. What am I talking about, Drew? Get with the program. In our Declaration of Independence, you have the right to life, liberty. I know that I've said it now. And the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit. Emphasis on the pursuit. Nobody guaranteed you happiness. Nobody guaranteed that you were going to get affirmed in everything that you believed. Nobody guaranteed you that if I walked into a room and I said, I need you to call me a handsome, strapping young lad, that you would... Be, have to call me every single one of those adjectives. You can't pick your pronouns just like I can't pick my adjectives. We don't get to pick our language. Language is language. You can't force people to use it in a way that they don't want. That's why we have this thing called freedom of speech. It's a thing. It's a thing, guys. So people can use whatever pronouns they want. They can use whatever adjectives they want. They can use whatever nouns, verbs, adverbs, that they want. So with that little side note put away, again, the burden of proof is on you. If you make a claim that the LGBTQIA plus community is not receiving due process under the law and they are denied full legal rights, I just have to say, prove it. What is your example? There's no examples anywhere in there. And that's not surprising to me, but I just think that that's kind of an interesting thing. So that's one thing I'm kind of skeptical about when people say that. It's like, ugh. I mean, it's so cringe. It's so cliche because everybody says it. Oh, they're not being, you know, we're not allowing them to pursue happiness because we won't even call them by the right pronouns. You can pursue whatever happiness you want. That doesn't mean we have to call you exactly what you want to be called. Because that interferes with our pursuit of happiness. And much more so than our pursuit of happiness, than our pursuit of truth. You know, that's kind of what a lot of people, you know, back in, dare I say, back in the good old days, people were concerned about the truth and they wanted to get toward the truth. And you would go to college so you could be enlightened and you could be exposed to the truth and you could learn more about truth. And now it's just like, oh, it's my truth, your truth everybody's own truth. It's just points of view. It's just perspective. No, there's just truth. And when we say, oh, you, you get a pronoun, you get a pronoun. What do you want your pronoun to be? Everybody gets to make up their own. Like, no, no, that's not how that works. One thing I thought that was interesting that was on her site was, uh, it was on an issue called student plan or something like that. And I was like, oh, students have been kind of a hot button issue. Like, what are we going to do with our students? And one of the things that I saw on there 
I, I didn't really know what to make of it. So maybe you guys can help me out with that. Maybe what this mean, maybe you know what this means more than I do. But on her site under student plan, one of the things that it said was bias free schools that welcome all students regardless of background. Now, to me, when I hear that, that makes me think school of choice. That makes me think, okay, if I want to go, you know, if I live in Detroit and I want to go to, instead of going to, you know, Detroit public schools, I want to go to this other school in Detroit, I can choose to go there and they can't be biased in allowing me to go to that school regardless of my background. That's kind of what I think of, but I don't know if that's really what she's getting at because that's more of a conservative viewpoint. A lot of conservatives say, hey, why wouldn't we have school of choice? If everybody, if the argument is that, well, these kids in these inner cities, they're never able to get ahead because their schools are so bad and they're so awful and these kids will just, they'll never make it. Well, why don't we give these kids the opportunity to go to a better school, to let them go to a school where everybody does care about their education. Why, why can't we do that? Oh, well, but then, like, why? I, I, I don't get it. Maybe the argument is transportation. I, I, I don't know the full extent of the argument. I really don't. But I, I don't see a, a huge reason that's bad enough to say, you know, we should keep kids in areas just based off of where they live and just say, you know, if you don't live in the district, you can't go to that school. So if you live in a really wealthy district, you're going to go to a really wealthy school that's going to have a lot of money to use on all sorts of stuff. And they're going to have the best teachers because everyone there is hoity-toity. And then in the inner cities, you're going to have no resources, poor teachers, and it just it goes downhill from there. You keep adding to this problem and there's a really simple fix to it. So I don't know. That's kind of my TED talk on that. But I'm going through Marianne Williamson and, and I have to say, obviously, I'm not the socialist type. Rather, I'm quite the opposite. I'm more on the libertarian side, I suppose. I'm not really a libertarian. I'm more of just a conservative because in a lot of regards, it's like, I'm not even really libertarian because it's like, like the trans issue, a lot of people are like, well, they're adults, they can do what they want to do. It's like, no, not not really. Like, um, it's just untrue, and I'm not going to let people do things that aren't true. Like, they're going to make, nobody's going to make me call them something that is not true. I'm sorry. Like, no, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So I guess that's where I would say, like, is the difference where I'm not necessarily a libertarian. But she's more on the socialist end, right? So she thinks that the system's broken. And the system is broken in a lot of ways. Don't get me wrong. We do have an elite ruling class, but that usually is more on politicians than anyone else. Politicians are just as guilty of it. They just are the ones that are like, oh yeah, we gotta, we gotta fight against this. Oh, by the way, I'm participating in that top 1%. But ignore that. So anyway, all that being said, Marianne Williamson, interesting candidate, interesting to look into. Not my cup of tea. I'm not a socialist. I'm not a social lib. Um, I'm a very much social conservative through and through. So it will be interesting to see how far she goes, what she does. 
I guess wish her the best of luck. She is an interesting fella, I suppose, because I guess, like, before... I was trying to read why... You know, she had this whole thing about herself, too. You know, the about section. That confused the crap out of me. I still... Like, I read it three times, and I know I'm, I was tired when I was reading it, but I'm like, what? Like, I don't understand why she's running still after reading it three times. And something about she started running because... It was the most bizarre story. She did something with spirituality and people finding their their inner God or, or something bizarre. And then how there was something with AIDS and then she saw something with gay men. And I'm like, where is this story going? Like, I was just so confused. And it was probably because I was tired and my brain just was not working properly. But I was reading some of it and I'm like... Man, this is one bizarre story to tell how how you decided that, yeah, I want to run for president. <laughs> like, what? But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I can leave her campaign website in the show notes if you guys want to find that. Look at some of the issues. Look at what she's proposing. I always think it's good to kind of see, even if it's somebody that you oppose, what issues they're putting forth. Because, hey... You might even find a couple that you do agree with or that you're like, oh, that makes sense. That's something that I think my party should adopt. Not, you know, and here's the thing. I, You know, I, Michael Knowles brings up this point a lot where it's like it's a lot easier for someone to be wrong about everything than to be, you know, wrong about some things and right about some things. You know, conservatives will always be like, well, Biden, how is he just wrong on everything? You'd think he'd do at least one thing, right? And liberals would say the opposite. They'd be like, oh, you know, how does Trump do everything wrong? You'd think he could at least do one thing right. It's a lot easier to do everything wrong than do everything right. Because like your base principles that you base everything on, if those are all wrong, then everything that you build that upon or that you build upon that is going to be wrong. And everything that you build upon that is going to be wrong. So you just have a crappy foundation if everything that you're building your points on are wrong. But that's kind of where I'm like, so it is sometimes where it's like, okay, why do I even go to their website? Because they're wrong on almost everything. But I guess even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Uh, so maybe go see if, if they're the blind squirrel and you can find the nut. But anyway, go ahead, scroll through. If that's what you're into, kind of find out what she's proposing. It's never a bad idea. Just say, oh yeah, I can get behind that. Oh yeah, nope, nope, not my cup of tea. So just go through, do some of that, kind of do what I'm doing. But anyway, guys, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hopefully this series is going to be good. This is kind of what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be breaking down different points uh, that they make, whether that be on their website about them personally. And I'm just going to be talking about whether I agree with those whether I disagree with those, I'll go on these little tangents about topics that they bring up. It'll all be good stuff. Or I should say, I hope it'll all be good stuff and you enjoy all of it. So make sure you come back here tomorrow. We'll have one on a really, really interesting candidate that I think everybody right and left should be taking a closer look at. And that's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So look at Bobby Kennedy Jr. Tell me what you think after you listen to tomorrow's episode as well. And you can kind of think, okay, so far out of the two Democrats, 
plus Biden. Everybody already knows Biden. I'll do an episode on him, too. I just did one yesterday. It was kind of hilarious, but I thought it was. I don't know about you guys. But, you know, you can kind of say, okay, Marianne Williamson, Robert F. Kennedy, Biden. If I was voting in the Democratic primary, who would I cast my vote for? And, and it'll kind of, you can kind of go from there. I have a strong feeling that the more people start to hear Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s platform and what he stands for, once that starts to come to light, more and more and more people are going to start to back him. But it'll be interesting to see. Again, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Let me know. You can reach me on social media. If there's any candidate that I'm missing for some reason, I'm only doing the ones that are officially declared. So if they haven't officially declared, I'm not going to do them yet. I'll do them when they declare or something at some point. So hopefully you enjoyed that. I can't wait to see you guys back here again tomorrow. Let's end now with our closing prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you're a great and mighty God. I want to praise you for all that you do for us each and every day. Father, help us to be bold in our faith and all that we do. Father, we pray for Marianne Williamson, that uh, if she becomes our country's next leader, that you just be with her, give her guidance, give her wisdom, and help her to follow your will for our country and for her. And help us to do the same in our lives. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and it's in your name. Amen. Alrighty, folks, thank you guys for sticking around until the end of another episode. I can't wait to see you guys back here for tomorrow's episode. I'm really excited for that one. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. But until I see you here tomorrow, stay blessed.